How many flow do you thought convey? How many know you can't walk away? Depending on the way I feel, I might kill everybody around me. Might heal everybody around me. How the wind blow? Open your window. Let the debris in. Never let me in. Night kick back with kick though. Maybe if I could live, honey, yeah, that'd be real. Pay me if I'ma be rhyming these, I'ma them. Crazy, my other show went to my mama them. My daddy said a Mercedes and honey him. But now I ain't got one. I'm riding shotgun with a three-piece chicken dinner and shotgun. I bring your weekend to an end in Welcome to one. episode 19 of the Setting the Edge podcast. I'm your host, Justin Mosqueda. You can find me on Twitter at J-U-M-O-S-Q. I'm here with my co-host, Charles McDonald. His at is at 4Verts. We're here with our friend, Benjamin Natan. You can find him on Twitter at TheBenNatan, right? Yes, sir. There we go. Bleeding Green Nation. He writes about the Philadelphia Eagles and just football in general. Say what's up to the people, Ben. What is up to the people? How are you guys doing? Hungover. Okay. Oregon lost. Yeah, Don't trust yeah, the Northwestern pressure situations. All that. Yeah. So is, is UNC going to beat Gonzaga now? Just because. They got They got to. They got to. Yeah, I just don't want our friend Adam to be happy. Gonzaga literally struggled with a lower Carolina. Like in every way possible, geog- like geography wise, talent wise, they struggle with a lower Carolina. Like, um, I, yesterday was my first time watching college basketball this season, and I watched it for about five minutes. So I'm not the one to go with to on these on these topics. Uh, all right. Well, we can just move on then to uh, uh, we got a lot of questions for Ben. Uh, I mean, it's draft season. The draft is about three weeks away now, which is wild because it feels like the season just ended. But we're going to dive right into these questions. So starting off from at jchem26, why did you have 28 turnovers in your rookie season, Ben? <laughs> now, this, this is profiling. Not all gingers are the same. I've been getting a lot of crap for my red hair. Um, I think somebody said the other day that I look like Ed Sheeran just gave up on life. Uh, okay, but uh, are they talking about oh, Carson? Yeah, right. Okay. Um, it's like <laughs> you, got the, you had a question for a second. <laughs> well, I mean, the, I mean, yeah. So with Wentz, it's I, I think that people kind of o- overcorrected on Wentz's rookie season both ways, where like this guy's really bad, or this guy's like super good, and, and you hear all these, you know, plugs from the league about how like you know anonymous NFL coach says that Carson Wentz is going to be like better than you know Aaron Rodgers or some sh- shit like that, and and it's like you need to find an in between where where Wentz kind of showed these, you know, he had like, these solid moments that he showed where he can be a solid NFL starter, and then he just did a lot of dumb shit and the thing with Wentz is that like he was a rookie but also he was coming into a situation where his best wide receiver was a slot receiver and he was starting to like Nelson Aguilar and Doyle Greenbeckham and and both of those guys are terrible so it's like he it was like a solid like like average solid rookie year in a vacuum but also was in just like a horrible ecosystem for a quarterback from a talent like surrounding talent perspective so the hope is you have like Torrey Smith and you have Alshon Jeffrey around him and like, you know, two guys who really have made their career uh, careers off of, you know, YOLO passes from like Joe Flacco and Colin Kaepernick and Jay Cutler and Josh McCown and whatever. And you kind of hope that like got, having guys like that in the building are going to help Wentz produce because Wentz is going to be that high variance quarterback most likely. So I have a, I have a question about the Philadelphia receivers, because if you look at you know th- this new this new staff really has only really been together for like a year, right? And they've already they've already kind of locked down a bunch of receivers, so it's kind of like hard for them to address the receiver position in the draft. So like you think about Alshon Jeffrey, he's on a one year deal, sure, but like long term, like he might not be there this time next season. Um, Torrey Smith, I mean, I-, I feel like we talk about Torrey Smith a lot, and I am not sure if he's any good at all anymore. And then Jordan Matthews obviously can hold his own. Um, this staff is the staff that traded for Doyle Green Beckham. And then Nelson Aguilar, obviously you could like trade him away, but like with the the amount of guaranteed money that you have, um, it doesn't really make sense to move on from him. So like that's five receivers who have like earned a roster spot already. I don't know how like unless Philadelphia drafts a receiver like very high in the draft, it's hard for me to figure out how they can add talent to that unit. Well, I think they actually will draft a receiver in the first two or three rounds just because um, like you said, Alshon Jeffrey's only here on a one-year deal, and Torrey Smith is not really a given after the first year of his deal. Jordan Matthews is a free agent after this season. So the security at wide receiver after 2017 is really, really unknown. So it would actually make a lot of sense for them to go receiver early. You know, they, there's a lot of rumblings in the building about, like, them really not liking Doyle Green Beckham. Doyle Green Beckham didn't really work hard his first season in Philadelphia, which is a shock to 
nobody. And uh, Nelson Aguilar, like Nelson Aguilar's confidence is just dead. Like uh, that's just the word is like he works really hard in practice. But once he gets onto the field, he's just like a totally different person. Um, so I think they really could go receiver early just because they, they don't really have security at the position after 2017 and, and kind of hoping that like Jeffrey not only plays well, but wants to resign. And then like Jeffrey playing well elevates Matthews, who wants to resign. And, and the, the other thing is like they don't have a ton of money. Uh, they don't have a ton of free money to like repay all these guys anyway. So getting a getting a talented guy on a rookie contract would be really big for the team. So I think that I mean, I think it's a likely uh, possibility that they go receiver in the first two or three rounds. I kind of like getting Torrey Smith because I think the problem with Torrey Smith in San Francisco was that he he can't be a number one guy. Like he, he can't be the best receiver on your team. So when you had that dynamic with him and Bolden in Baltimore, that worked because Bolden could be the guy to see a lot of targets and Torrey Smith could be your stretch guy down the field. But when he's the best guy on your team, that's an issue. So I kind of like the fit with him and uh, Alshon. I think that's a situation where he can thrive and, uh, I mean, aside from the running back position, that I think they did a pretty decent job to get Wentz some help this offseason. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think that Tory Tory fits into it nicely because he's going to be like a third or fourth option in the offense at this point because I think that Alshon coming in to stretch the field and also create that red zone threat is going to take a lot of pressure off Matthews in the middle of the field and also take a lot of pressure off of Ertz. So you're going to see Ertz and Matthews kind of running free like in, the, in that shallow middle and then like if the defense gives attention to them on top of giving attention to Alshon, then you have, you know, Tory singled up on the outside uh, deep down the field. And uh, yeah, I think he's going to be like more of a role player, but like you said, he, he's, he's always been more efficient in that role anyway. All right. Next question. Hey Ben, since you're an Eagles guy, Oh, from Gil at G Santos, seven Hey Ben, since you're an Eagles guy, who are your top three targets at number 14? Um, my top three targets, I would probably say I want Tredavious White, the, the corner from LSU, just like really, really solid cover corner, uh, not suit, like not like a great tackler or anything like that, but he's just going to give you really consistent coverage down to down and the Eagles, the Eagles definitely need that on their defense because their cornerback, I mean, I don't even know who their best cornerback at this point is like Patrick Robinson, who they just signed off the street or like Jalen, it's just bad. like their cornerback situation is, might be one of the worst in the league. Um, and then another cornerback. I'm starting to really kind of get on the Marlon Humphrey train, and it, he's like an inconsistent guy. Don't do from, it. Don't I know. Do it's, it. I know. It's I'm falling into this trap of being like, okay, don't fall well, for the in, punt gunners, man. Don't fall well, for the punt gunners. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he's not. I don't think he's going to be like uh, like the Demarius Randall that the what, you know the Packers drafted a couple years ago. But I mean, he's physical. He's big. He's young. He's really athletic, and like his flashes on tape are like, are very good. And worst case scenario, he ends up playing safety, and I think he'd be really good safety too. Um, and then third would probably be Christian McCaffrey. I think uh, this uh, offensive staff really values receiving backs, and McCaffrey is like a really good athlete, very polished receiver, and and also like an, a running back. And and I think that like that's getting this crazy like oh he's not actually a running back because he's two hundred pounds and short and and white so he's all, he's like a slot receiver like he's a he's a Danny Woodhead type or some shit like that but he he had you know he ran for 3200 yards or 3600 yards in the past two seasons and like probably the the most pro style run offense in college football so it's a little ridiculous to just kind of say you know he's not an NFL running back so that'd probably be my top 3 at, at 14 yeah i, I so just think it's funny that people are saying, well, why, why don't we move Christian, Christian McCaffrey to receiver? You wouldn't, I mean, a running back coming from that offense where they're running like I formation every single play, like it, it just doesn't really make sense to put a guy out to receiver for no reason. When you see him be the bell cow back at Stanford for two seasons, I, I just think that's that's kind of lazy analysis. What were you about to say, Justice? Oh, um, I just want to talk about like, all right, so I have a thought on that first. Um, I think it makes sense in the context of money. Uh, receivers just make way more money than running backs. Running backs die fast. Um, but I mean, that's neither here nor there. He's a good. He's a good run. He's my top running back right now. I think I have Dalvin number two. I'm not going to be a Fournette guy. Um, so McCaffrey, like the thing that the thing that I like about McCaffrey is you can clearly see, like there's a there's a difference in how he runs and he can adjust based on how many how many blockers he has relative to how many like how many box defenders he has relative to how many gaps are being covered right so like when a when a box is when a box is heavy right 
he could show that like little patience. Like the the little the little Le'Veon Bell highlights, right? That people want to compare him to Le'Veon Bell with, right? And when it's all spread out, that's when you see just like track star speed and things like that, right? I think it's gonna be interesting in the NFL because I was I was looking at um I think it was like football chase or something, like football perspective. I can't remember what it was. Um, but basically they had like personnel alignments from like team to team. I didn't realize that the NFL, like four receiver sets are only played on like two percent of the downs league wide. Like that's insane to me. Um, I think I think McCaffrey's better in the spread it out type of system, in my opinion, because that's where you, you're able to see like that track star speed, as opposed to like a guy who just like runs it up the middle. Uh, I I just kind of found that interesting. I mean, obviously he's gonna be like, he's gonna be whatever you think. Like uh, like, I mean, any sort of pass catcher. Like I I think he I think he legitimately could be a superstar in the NFL. You just gotta find creative ways to get him the ball, but like. If I were building a team, I wouldn't be running the ball 20 times. I, like, I'm not going into a game thinking I'm running the ball 20 times a game. Like, if you load up with a five-man box, like, you're running dime defense the entire time playing too high, okay. Like, that's what we're going to do. But I'm not going into any game thinking I'm running the ball 20 times. Well, I think the other issue that, that people complicate with, like, Christian McCaffrey and also Curtis Samuel, too, and this is, like, an NFL problem with Curtis Samuel, is that, like, when you have a dynamic player like that, why would you want to complicate getting them the ball by moving them to wide receiver? It's, you know, they have experience at running back. They've shown they can play at running back. They're very good athletes. They're dynamic with the ball in the hand. So why would you, like, depend on the process of getting the ball to the quarterback, having the, you know, receiver go out on the route, hoping that he catches it, et cetera, et cetera, in order to get the ball into his hand when you can just hand it off to him? And, like, getting those guys volume touches – I think will yield better results than like moving them to a different position or moving them to wide receiver in general um, and complicating that process. So I, I have a comment on the Curtis Samuel thing. So as, as someone who's like, as some, I mean, it, it was damn high school ball, right? But you could tell teams' tendencies based on their personnel, right? And with that, you can prepare for certain situations. So like Kurt, if I see Curtis Samuel in the backfield, right? And it's like I I know he's running the ball because that guy can't pass protect at all. So I, I guess that's that's the situation with Curtis Samuel. That's totally different than Christian McCaffrey. I think Christian McCaffrey can block. Um, Curtis Samuel, like if you can't, Green Bay saw that problem with with uh, Ty Montgomery last year. Ty Montgomery had an amazing season running the ball. The problem he's he's like a receiver, so he's like Curtis Samuel. Um, he's a lot bigger though too. Uh, but like if, if you can't pass protect, man, that you're you you can't you just can't have him in the backfield. Because then you have a five-man protection. That's just like running up into empty. That that's one thing that I was super impressed by uh, Dak Prescott early on with the Dallas Cowboys last year was how he was able to ma- manage the line of scrimmage, like running empty such empty situations, right? Because that is that's that's like the difference between having a five-man protection and a six-man protection on a quarterback. It's like it's like night and day. It's totally different. Yeah, and I I think that when we it, I I. I uh, Going back to that comment, I just think it's interesting how we talked about, you know, Wentz being such a cerebral guy, like, early on in the season. And, you know, Dak's out here changing protections versus an empty by himself. And uh, I remember that play versus the Vikings where he he changed protection and he he audible to Dez to go deep and then hit him on that deep bomb. Like, that's stuff that you want to see your your young quarterbacks doing. And we just never really – heard people talk that up and i mean that we can talk about the narratives and other stuff that goes on there but we have more questions uh from my son low-key confucius at jalen muhammad chris formerly hive i think he's pretty good but i wouldn't spend a first or mid early second on him i mean he's a he's a five technique right like that's what he's going to be in the nfl he legit looks like an offensive lineman. Like when we were down, when we were down there at in uh in Mobile for the Senior Bowl, like he was the one defensive lineman who looked like an offensive lineman. He's athletic though. Like he ran like a four eight and uh, had some nice jumps at his pro day. I think his three cone was around seven seconds too. Yeah, I mean that's that's. I mean I don't know. I mean for the Eagles specifically, I don't know how they how high they would value a guy like that just because he doesn't really fit into what they want to do. Um, and like Wormley never like stood out to me when watching Michigan's defense in general, but you know, five technique, second round, that kind of makes sense. Athletic. He's, he's like, I think I said this on Twitter. He's this year's like Henry Anderson, like Dean Lowry type of guy. All right. Now. So have you run his numbers through the force player formula? 
Um, I think that the pro day numbers on NFL Draft Scout have not come out, and that's the only site that I use. If it does, if it's not on NFL Draft Scout, then you're basically going off of agent numbers, and that can be anything. So, I'm waiting for I'm waiting for that to pop up. Okay, but yeah, I, I mean, would assume I would assume if it's anywhere near those type of numbers, then yeah, he's gonna get in. Like absolutely. I I think that uh, Wormley could end up being the best player off the Michigan defense that's draft eligible this year. I, yeah, that, that makes sense. I'm not a fan of Drew. I don't. I'm not a fan of Drew Bill Peppers. I don't think he's any good. And I think Taco is just kind of a guy. So, like Wormley could be uh, one of those. You know, the guys like like Jacksonville and Seattle, Atlanta guy like where you, you can play him strong side end and then kick him inside on on uh, on passing downs. And I, I think he's going to have a nice little little role. I, I think his floor is something somebody like like Jared Odrick. That's his floor. So. That which is still a pretty decent player, but when you have that type of athleticism and upside, I think he could be, you know, a fairly fairly special guy. So I I wouldn't be surprised to see him go, you know, top fifty. That makes sense to a team like uh, Seattle. I mean, Seattle's probably going to be re-upping their defensive line this season, or even um, Oakland too, since they run that similar defense. Yeah, I'd see Oakland doing that. Yeah, I can see. Yeah, o- Oakland Oakland could for sure should. Should be looking at a guy like that because I, th- I think if you look at Seattle, right, um, Mike- Michael Bennett's like getting on the older side of things, but he just got a new deal. And then Frank Clark is like literally sitting there waiting for a starting role. Like Frank Clark's probably a top 10 defensive end in the NFL, and he's a backup right now with Seattle. He- it's the same thing with uh, Danell Hunter. Danell Hunter's kind of finding himself like Brian Robeson just got a new deal, and then Everson Griffin's not coming off the field. So um, I-, I think he makes more- way more sense in like Oakland. Because Oakland's been looking for a guy like I think in situations you can get Wormley as like a, a pressure three, right? Like Green Bay did that a lot with like Dean Lowry last year. Um, I think you can get him with a pressure three, and we've been talking for like, like basically since Reggie McKenzie got in Oakland, like Oakland needs a three technique. Like people were mocking like Leonard Williams to him when they took Amari and like all sorts of stuff like that. So that w- that would make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and, and just looking at Oakland's roster, it's it's time to. You you can you can kind of figure out after one season when it's time to give up on a guy. Jihad Ward, it, it it's not going to work out. He was absolutely horrendous. was he that bad? He was he was horrific as a rookie. They actually found a, a nice little uh, undrafted gem in Darius Latham. I think he played football at Indiana in college, but he he's pretty solid. Yeah, so, Ray, he, had, he had like he had like off field issues and stuff. I remember that. Yeah, but he's he's a pretty pretty talented guy. So if you talk to the Raiders fans, they like to pretend that Latham was a second round pick and. Jihad Ward was the undrafted guy because that's kind of how they played. Uh, moving on to the next question from uh, I Steal Followers at your wifey's favorite DJ. <laughs> if you don't believe in a guy as a long-term starter, why do you draft him? Do you draft a backup quarterback? And I'm assuming he's talking about quarterbacks in, in this situation. Uh, I, I, I don't really buy into the idea that you don't want to draft guys who you don't think will eventually start. But I guess with quarterbacks is you want to kind of swing for the fences every single year and maybe hit on a guy. And if he's a decent backup, then you can trade him because the the capital of quarterbacks in this league. Um, And if he ends up being good, then you start him. I mean, that's just, that's just what it is. That's, that's the game. We see that all the time. Like these like random backup quarterbacks getting this insane theoretical trade value because they played like well in preseason or they played two good games or something like that. See, I'm I'm willing to I'm willing to draft like a backup type of guy if he's like if if he's for sure gonna be a backup, like he needs to be like that West Coast style of quarterback, if that makes any sense. Like I draft Brad Kaya. I don't think Brad Kaya is gonna be a starter, but I think for the going rate, I mean the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were about to give eight million dollars per season to Mike Glennon to be a backup and hold a clipboard to Jameis Winston, right? Um I, I think I would take a guy like Brad Kaya to be a backup on a you know, a mid, a mid, uh, a mid round, like controlled contract. I mean, that makes sense. And, and also you, you want to draft guys who just don't fuck up because if your quarterback does go down and you need someone to come in and manage the game for you, like that's the guy that you want. You don't want like a developmental guy who has no idea what he's doing, but is really toolsy to come in and start games, you know, to, you know, when you just like the fourth quarter of a game that your, your court, your starting quarterback can't finish or something like that. Yeah, see, so that was my whole thing with, like, the Patrick Mahomes thing is, like, Mahomes can't even be your QB, too. Like, if you draft Mahomes, like, you legitimately have to redshirt him 
in a way where you have to spend an extra roster spot on quarterbacks. You don't I don't know could, about you, you don't think he could play as a rookie, Justice Mahomes? Absolutely not. No. He'd be he'd be like golf level. Why do you why do you think that? He doesn't play in structure at all. Like he plays he plays less in structure than Goff did. Like I understand he has wrist velocity and he has like tools that you want to work with. I totally understand that. But like I don't know. He's pretty in he's pretty far like He's my QB four, like by far. Like I think, like Trubisky, Watson, Kaiser. I think any of those guys could survive, um, survive an NFL season. I don't know if sixteen games, but I think those guys could like at least show promise. Like I think if you throw Mahomes out to the Wolves, like it's done. Like he looks like Goff. Yeah, well, I think the issue. I mean, compared to Goff at Cal, like when you look at the guys who got drafted or got rostered at Cal compared to this Texas Tech roster, I mean. Mahomes was the system to a certain degree. Like he didn't have a lot of talent around him and that defense was so bad so that he was kind of forced to put a lot of pressure on himself. Whereas golf was just like working within a very talented system where a lot of those guys ended up on NFL rosters. So like, I, I don't know if I like that comparison very much, honestly. I don't know. I mean, Mahomes had a top a hundred, uh, a top a hundred tackle. His running back basically like had like, I think basically Oakland had three starting running backs, like not in terms of like, they are all getting starting touches but like they basically split their their uh touches three ways one of them was there um he had that one receiver i can't Jakeem remember grant. his name yeah jakeem grant he had that one receiver i mean i don't know man he, he had a decent amount of talent and it's not like cliff kingsbury like isn't making court like every single quarterback that he touches look good I mean that's definitely fair, but he was good this year i mean and, i mean who on who in that texas tech team is getting drafted this year besides mahomes yeah i don't i don't know about that I don't. Yeah, I mean, I haven't. I haven't seen anyone. Well, I guess that's that's going to be something that we see as the as a, you know the year progresses. But I mean, from everything that we're hearing, it looks like he's going to be a first round pick, right? Like a top fifteen pick. Yep. Yes. Sounds like the NFL likes him a lot. For for as much shit as people give Ben Albright, Ben Albright is probably right ninety percent of the time when he talks about stuff that he sourced. And he's like, like he's like Pat Mahomes isn't even getting to Arizona's pick. So, just assume he goes like top twelve or whatever. Right. Um. I mean, just kind of staying on the topic of quarterbacks, I I've been uh, watching Kaiser again this this weekend and five five yeah. Hive. I, I still like Watson better, but I'm definitely coming back around because Justice and I we were talking about. Uh, I, I've just kind of been watching Louisville's offense, and I, I find their offense fascinating. I realize, you know, Lamar Jackson is really good at going through his progressions and reading the field and reading coverages, but, you know, sometimes his accuracy is just a bit off, and Justin's like, oh, well, that's kind of like Kaiser. You know, Kaiser's going through his progressions, he's making the right reads, but sometimes his his uh, his accuracy is off. So I went back and watched, and I, I, I agree with that. And what do you – let's talk about decision-making versus – general accuracy like where, where do you where do you kind of stand on that one uh i think that i think it's like process versus results and if a guy is a good process in terms of like picking out his receiver um and he's not consistently hitting them i think that's the guy that you prioritize over like i think like trubisky is like very accurate but not always a good decision maker and that's why, why i like kaiser a lot more than trubisky in general is because well on top of a, a bunch of other reasons where yeah, Kaiser's process is good, but his his results aren't always good just because of uh, accuracy. And that's something you can clean up. I mean, we've seen guys able to kind of clean up their accuracy with mechanical fixes in the NFL. Yeah, see, so that's that's one read. Like, I'm a thousand percent like process quarterback. Like, I'll take I'll take a robot for sure. Like, that's one reason why I had Mariota over uh, Jameis Winston. It was a reason why I was a huge fan of Teddy Bridgewater, even though Teddy Bridgewater didn't have like that flashy arm, right? Um, like they're they're legitimately where people people say that Deshaun Kaiser has questionable decision making and I'm like I can't I can't fi- like it's very hard to find plays where he's throwing to the wrong receiver like based on the read you know what I mean like a lot of people don't understand some of these passing concepts and that's totally fine but like Kaiser's not throwing double coverage he's just like missing a wide open man you know what I mean and it's not to the point. Or it's like Christian Hackenberg either. And most of it is underneath throw. So like when I see that and I'm like, oh, I've coached a 14-year-old to fix that, right? Like I'm taking a shot. If if that's the one issue with Kaiser is that like he has issues that I've taught 14-year-olds to like clean up, like I'm like I'm up there. I'm up there going to bat for him. All right. Yeah. And I think 
I kind of overcorrect on that. Uh, the, 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 my first watch through, and you know, it's draft season. I'm about, I'm allowed to be wishy washy and do whatever the hell I want to do. So I, I, I'm coming back on the Kaiser high. I uh, I still like Watson better, but um, I, you could definitely sell me on the Kaiser in like the top top twelve picks. Like if if I'm Cleveland and Watson's been picked at it and uh, Kaiser's on the board at twelve, I pull the trigger there. Yeah, these top three quarterbacks for me, I mean, between, I know Justice disagrees with this, but between like Watson, Kaiser, and Mahomes, I mean, I like three really, really talented quarterbacks and who all have like different flaws. And frankly, in this class, I think each one could be sold to me as being the, the, the best quarterback in this draft, you know, based on fit. Um, you think that's fair? Yeah, I do. What, what would you say Watson's flaws are? I mean, his flaws, I guess, are, I mean, you're really coming down to sometimes he's making a bad, like he's getting too aggressive and he throws an interception or you you can get a little bit worried about his velocity. But I think like he's kind of like the Mariota in this class for me where he's like super process oriented, really intelligent quarterback. Um, but on top of that, like he also has a really strong, like he's a really strong deep passer, which is why, I mean, like if, if somebody said like, who is your best, who, who do you think is the best quarterback in the draft? Like I'm going to say Deshaun Watson because he has like, in my opinion, I think he has like the tools and then also the resume and then the off field is like great. And so there's really no holes in it. If you, unless you want to bring up his velocity at the combine. Um, but if someone says, you know, I want Mahomes or I want Kaiser because like they are so much more physically gifted and, you know, you could, you make an argument about that, the drafting for a ceiling and a quarterback where, you know, you could probably say that physically Watson's probably maxed out. Um, then I could understand that, but I'm probably going to go with Watson overall. But if somebody wants to go with Mahomes or Kaiser over him, just because of their ceilings, I could understand that. Now with Watson, I think one of I think his biggest flaw is he's he like when you watch like the the all twenty two of Clemson he's really good pre snap like when it comes to eliminating who he's gonna throw the ball to before the ball even snap like he he's really good at recognizing what's gonna happen before the ball snap but sometimes he gets a little bit too fixated on that and doesn't want to I guess you know adjust once the ball snapped and the coverages start rotating and stuff like that so you'll see people say oh you know he he doesn't read the field like he only he only has one reading and then he's taken off well no he he just thinks he sees something before the snap and then he gets a little bit too fixated on the post snap and just fires the ball in there i think i think if you can kind of coach that out of him a little bit be like deshaun like you know we have all these clips here of you reading the whole field and uh coming off of these you know straight up half field reads you need to make that a little bit more consistent part of your game. And I, I think if you can clean that up, I, I just I don't really see how, how he's a guy that fails in the NFL. Yeah, I think that was a problem that D- Derek Carr had at Fresno State, too, where he was like robotic to a fault, where he would make those pre-snap reads and, and kind of make those those decisions before the snap even happened. And then that's where a lot of his like his turnovers came from or his bad passes. What's really interesting is when you when you think about him as a passer, as someone who's willing to go deep but doesn't necessarily have a gifted arm and who does that, does a lot of stuff at the line of scrimmage, I mean, he has no issue in empty either. Um, the quarterback who he's kind of like as a passer is like Phillip Rivers, especially when you consider like sometimes he's a little too risky, has some turnovers. Um, that That's kind of the guy that I see him as a passer. Um, what's really interesting to me, right, so like as, a, as someone who looks at quarterbacks like process-orientated, right, um, there are clearly times where Watson isn't making the good, like the right read. And that's one reason why I think like, so like pro days, all that, like it's a, it's a bunch of like, honestly, it's a bunch of stuff so that like the media can write about it. Right. Like, I, I really don't think that pro days are affecting NFL teams. Like we think that they are. Um, but I think like people getting Watson on the board and like, by all means, it seems like he's a very capable person. Like he understands the process and everything else. He just kind of overrides it every once in a while because he has Mike Williams, right? Like he's just like, no, I'm not going to throw the inside slant because of that because of that blitz. Like I'm going to throw it to Mike Williams because I still know I have a one on one out there, even though it's in a more condensed space. Um, so I, I really do believe. Like I really don't believe. Like hey, quarterback X is rising. Like ever. Um, but I do believe it with Deshaun Watson because I feel like. There are issues that he has where, like, he can clearly read complex, complex, like, um, like full field, full field, like passing concepts, right? 
But there are times where he has two route passing concepts and he'll just overwrite it because of Mike Williams and getting him on the board and being able to like sort those things out and being like, oh, you can turn that off, right? Like definitely like kind of checks a checks a box that was kind of a question mark before. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I if I was Cleveland, I I wouldn't really have a. I, I get Miles Gary is you know the superstar, but I I wouldn't have a problem with them picking a quarterback just because. When when do you stop playing games at that position? You know, at some point it, it's got to stop. All right, but uh, we're we're sitting at about thirty minutes. Ben, do you have anything you want to plug before we uh, switch it over to our interview with Spencer Hall? Um, I just follow me at the Ben Natan on Twitter. I'll be continuing to do uh, draft content for Bleeding Green Nation this this off season, and uh, yeah, that's that's basically it. Yeah, Ben is pumping out scouting reports at a ridiculous rate, and they're, they're always good quality, so you should definitely check that out and follow him on Twitter. And now we're going to flip it to our interview with Spencer Hall from SB Nation. He's the lead writer at uh, EDSBS. Every day should be Saturday. And uh, from the sounds of it, I, I think we're just going to talk about NCAA 14 a lot. So we'll be right back with that. So Tennessee, what you want to do? Back with our guest, Spencer Hall. You can find him on Twitter at EDSBS. He's the editorial director at SB Nation. Um, he runs Every Day Should Be Saturday. Say what's up to the people, Spencer. Um, hello, people. <laughs> uh, well, we we uh, love Spencer's work. We listen to Shutdown Fullcast all the time, and we, we were big fans. Big fans. So we're we're really happy to have him on today. Why Why do you listen to that? Like, uh, like, legit question. Why? why it's that? really entertaining. It's well, incredibly entertaining. We're, we're, we kind of fall from that Dan Lebertard tree of sports analysis where it, it, if it's slightly related to sports, that's that's better because, I mean, we don't we don't need the, the typical oh, who's going to beat who, blah, 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 blah. Just talk about sports a little bit and then fill the rest with jokes. So that's that's, uh, that's, that's, that's really good. That's, that's a very... That's an absolutely superb way to look at it. Well, I'll take it. Let's just stop there. Dan's always got the right idea, which is, hey, we were going to talk about sports, but this thing happened last night that I'd rather talk about, right? Like right. sometime. My favorite. Have you ever heard when Dan just talks about how bad he is at fighting? No, I haven't heard that one. That's the best. And anytime anyone brings up bar fighting, because Dan is big. Dan, Dan Levitard's a big dude. He's like easily 6'3", six, 6'4", six, and has some size to him. And he's terrible at bar fighting. Like, and he's like, I've been in two bar fights in my life, and I like, I got my ass kicked in both of them. So, <laughs> like, if, if that, he that starts kind, talking that about that, sounds that's like you're, kind of sounds like you're calling him out, to be honest. Uh, no, no, no. It would be, it would be bad. Like, if if Dan Levitard and I fought, he would probably win. But it would look like the fight scene from, um, oh, Renee Zellweger, uh, Hugh Grant, uh, British Diary, uh, Bridget. Bridget Jones. It would look like the fight scene from Bridget oh, Jones. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just a mess. Yeah, no, no, no. It would, be, it would be disgraceful. It would be like, can either of you fight? Like, be honest. No, not really. I'm 5'8". I'm five, I'm five, okay, so you can fight, right? This is scrappy, scrappy. This guy yeah. had to do it. Uh, I could if I needed to, man. Last time, last time, So last time I got in a fight, it was over a dude who was like wild faded was watching like trailer park boys like two years ago when my ex brought me over <laughs> to like go hang out to she was like Mike come over to like my coworker's house and things like that. It's just a wild dude who's just tanked his his girl leaves the room and he just like starts acting a fool. No nah, man. I, I I think I'm done with that. I think I put that behind me. That's good. No, you want to be done with that. You don't want to be like, you know, 51 and you're like, it's Friday night. I think I'm going to go out and tussle. No, (laughs) I think there's certain places in the United States where that's considered socially acceptable. Like certain parts of West Virginia, it's like, yeah, Friday, I'm going to go tussle. You're like, yeah, it's a family thing. Bring them all. (laughs) Then after that, they all have sex together because that's what they do in West Virginia. You said that, not me. Yeah, yeah. I'm, from, I'm, from, I'm, I'm from Tennessee. I'm from Tennessee. I've seen the the genealogy. I'm not making fun of anybody's bloodlines. 
All right, well, uh, we have a few questions for Spencer. Uh, let's get it started. Oh, God, and me being unorganized as hell, I don't have them up as usual. But uh, the first one from our good pal Dylan Bishop at Villain, Villain Bishop, who is the weakest link of the full cast? Oh, that's easily Ryan Nanny. <laughs> I just, that's actually kind of a joke because Ryan would actually, you know, like Ryan does a lot of research. It's probably me. Because Jason is Jason is low key one of the funniest people on the planet. You just have to let him burn for a while because he's he doesn't really sort of like he's he's chill and he hangs back. But Jason is uproarious, and if you dig into his like personal history, Jason has some of Jason has some of the best anecdotes of any of us. Just in terms of things he actually like, ask him about working at Publix because he worked at Publix for like a good long while. Or the time he he's the only member of the full cast I know who recorded, I believe, an entire hip hop mixtape. What? Really? I did not know that. Is that that on the Internet? We have dug and tried and uh, we have not found it yet, but we will find it at one point. I remember Jason was telling the story one time where I think he had he had a class that he didn't go to for the entire semester and somehow managed to pull a D like like at the very end of uh, of the semester by showing up to like the. Like last yeah. day or the second to last day? Yeah, prior to, prior to Kennesaw State, he did that. So the weakest link is is undoubtedly me, if we're going for like total preparation and everything. Because usually what I will do is I will finish my last set of pull-ups, walk up through the yard, turn on the laptop, and sit there like shirtless with like a protein shake. <laughs> that's, been the, that's been this season's MO. Uh, all right, that's... Uh... <laughs> A renaissance man just doing pull-ups and recording podcasts at the same time? Yes, like prepared and excellent at neither. Yeah. There we go. Uh, All right, next question from uh, friend Betts at Swole Tie. That's a fantastic uh, Twitter at. Any fictional players from the NCAA 14 that you got emotionally attached to? Oh, I have have a few of these, and I know you do too, right? So I'll just – I'll just start because this is a uh, this is deep and emotional. I had a quarterback. I used to play South Carolina in like NCAA 2000. I guess it might have been five or six. Whenever Cyvel Newton was there, so I took Cyvel Newton and I made Cyvel Newton like eight feet tall and maxed out all of his skills, <laughs> and then and then did the same thing with a fullback, and we would just do nothing but run speed option and or I formation triple option the whole time. And these two dudes like. Super Cyvel combined with this fullback who, in my head, I just nicknamed him Gigamax because I just thought it was fun. Like, Gigamax would be the name of, like, a big-ass discount store somewhere in, like, Spartanburg, South Carolina, right? Like, I'm going down (laughs) to the Gigamax, right? Um, So Gigamax and, like, Super Cyvel, like, combined, I think, had something like 4,000 yards rushing between the two of them in, like, eight games before, like, an idiot. I didn't turn injuries off and, like, Gigamax got injured and like that was a that was a tragedy because it was all on Cybell at that point. Cybell <laughs> <laughs> had to stock the whole shot by himself and uh he did. He was it was fine because you, if you do that to a player you're just not going to lose the game. But yeah, I I was severely emotionally attached to them and when those are the only players I ever graduated up to Madden. Like I don't care about Madden at all. I bought Madden so I could pass them up. Right in the <laughs> roster, like I hadn't actually bought Madden, but I was like, I couldn't accept the like virtual death of these two characters. So I was like, I gotta take them to the Panthers, boys. <laughs> <laughs> so I just took them and put them in the draft, and you know, got them on the Panthers. That was, you know, I, th- that took some doing, but yeah, those were my the two characters I was most emotionally attached to. I this is what this isn't like emotionally attached, but I created the uh, the Jackson Five one year on, on NCAA fourteen. I did. <laughs> I had a dynasty as Georgia, and I created the Jackson Five. What did, so, what did Tito play? Well, no, what did they Tito were, play? They were all offensive linemen. So Michael Jackson, he was the center. He was white, obviously. And then the other yeah. four were black. And, uh, they were all seven feet, 400 pounds, and they all had 99 speed, like all mm-hmm. 99 every attribute. So I made I made them. I made them all from Georgia. So I, I thought I could have a chance to get at least one of them. And in perfect Georgia fashion, three of them went to Florida – one went to LSU and uh, <laughs> Michael Jackson actually he ended up going to Wyoming for some reason. You know, like how the, the five stars, some of them will just go to like some random ass school like out in the middle of nowhere. And those dudes, they just steamrolled me. 
for like 300 yards just running to the right almost every single play when I had the rivalry game against Florida. So that I, I, I have a lot of failed recruiting ventures with creative players on that game. See, mine, mine are like my, my attachment's not even like uh, it's not even NCAA to be honest. Like the Madden game, the the Vic one with Vic on the cover. I think Seneca Wallace was like a rookie in that game. And yeah. like, people talk about how Michael Vick was un- like unbeatable in that game, but like Michael Vick was like actually good like in the NFL. Like Seneca Wallace was garbage, but in the football game, he's like the second best quarterback in there. He's like eighty five speed. You can run around, do all the same stuff Vick would. Like for the number one key into like winning a Super Bowl in like Madden two thousand three or whatever. It was like trade for Seneca Wallace and make him your starter immediately. Yeah, there's that and Brian Finneran. If you could get yes. if you get if Brian Brian Finneran was to the greatest slot receiver in the history of of Madden football because if you ran him with Vic, Finneran was the dude who always got open under coverage. So you if you played a full season with that, you'd end up with Finneran with like two thousand five hundred yards receiving. Yeah. Yeah, that it, it that's that stuff is so much fun. Uh, and my friends and I, we used to, we had a, uh, we used the same name like three years in a row for, you know, the road to glory, uh, mode. And we had a, we had a linebacker named, uh, Quintavious Jackson (laughs) and Mm. he started for the, he started for Miami and every year we tried to get him to win the Heisman and we got close one year, but we lost to, uh, I think we lost to Eddie Lacey, like, uh, the last year we had him, but every year he had like 15 sacks. We would just blitz every single play. We did, we didn't respond to one coverage responsibility blitz every single play we gave up we probably gave up you know a thousand yards through the air easily just because we never tried to guard any of our assignments but just you know the chase of putting up gaudy stats at the cost of team wins is i think something that we can all relate to and connect to it's 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 admirable it's completely admirable all right uh what's like the the hardest game that you've played against a computer in NCAA? Because if you put on Heisman, sometimes those, like the computer will just kick your ass sometimes. You'll laugh. Like, this is a running joke, but I I would always put K-State on the schedule when you could. It was I just thought it was karma for all of those years when, you know, Bill Snyder would schedule, you know, a one double A team at the time. And run up the score with Michael Bishop like seventy to three, right? Yeah. So if I had a dynasty, and the dynasty I ran the longest in any game was um, not the South Carolina one. I ran when Dwight Dasher was at Middle Tennessee State. I took Middle Tennessee State to like like seven straight national title games, and I would put Kansas State on the schedule every year. And my first loss after winning something like seventy in a row or something was. <laughs> My first loss was to K State because <laughs> which which is like they K Stated me. Like they totally Bill Snydered me. I put it on Heisman at that point, right? Like after a season or two, I was like, okay, this is let's at least put some honor on this. And I played K State and they completely Bill Snydered me. They held the ball for something like thirty-eight to twenty-two minutes if you worked out like how you know the the ratios. I turned the ball over like five times, right? Uh, just in like complete computer like like go to hell mode where you drop back for like a simple shotgun snap and the ball just goes flying off of the quarterback's head that kind of stuff yeah tips right like fumbles that fumbles that roll nine times and are picked up by the safety only after my wide receiver drops the fumble recovery attempt yeah like something like five or six turnovers they ran they ran the clock out on almost every single play yeah that that was my peak frustrating NCAA experience. But well done, Bill Snyder, because I put you on the schedule because I didn't think you could pull it off, and you did. And he did. Have you? I I, I found myself watching the uh, the South Carolina spring game yesterday, and it was just a, a sick feeling. Like, am I that starved for live football snaps that I'm watching? You know, South Carolina and their uh, one and two teams just kind of grind it out and play like the sloppy ass football game. It, it, it's it's hard out here. Oh no! And you, you know you watch a lot of film, so yeah. you're you're actually seeing, you're watching it. You're going, you know, if I go back and look at this tape, it'll get worse. Like your initial <laughs> reaction, when you watch, your initial reaction when you watch tape for the first time is mostly gut instincts, right? Like if you're watching live, you go, "Whew, I can't say much, but man, that left side isn't holding up. Like somebody's screwing up over there." Because the hardest thing about watching football live is that 
it's a game where you have 11 different factors to look at all the time and they interplay with each other. So you're never really sure who's at fault unless it's super obvious or unless you're just watching that guy to start with, right? Mm -hmm. If you go back and watch it, generally the impression is, yeah, this is a pretty sloppy game. If you go back and watch it on tape, you're like, this is an atrocity. This is this is absolutely terrible. Justice knows a lot about bad football. He's an Oregon fan. Yeah, I'm an Oregon fan, so I'm I'm used to that now. Yeah, burn burn Mark Helfrich at the stake. All right, let, let's play a little game. <laughs> let's let's play a let, let's change this to a lighter subject. Um, let's play let's play a little word association game with some of these draft prospects. So I'm just gonna throw out a name, Spencer, and you get sure. one word. You get one word for every single one. All right, so we'll start All at right. the top. Uh, Miles Garrett. Hmm. Uh, my, let's see. How about uh, Lotus? It's very fast. It's very light. All right. Uh, Jonathan Allen. Um, mileage. Chad Derek Kelly. Barnett. No, let's do Chad Kelly. Chad Kelly. Chad Kelly? Draft him. That's two words, but take him. <laughs> I'm an idiot. I would take Chad Kelly and Pat Mahomes and just go great guns. I don't care. <laughs> take him. All right. Uh, last one, Leonard Fournette. Um, I, 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 I'm completely unobjective on him. So awesome. I, I like Leonard Fournette a lot. So there, one word. Yeah. After Not- saying like 20. Awesome. Notice how we only pulled – uh, athletes from the best conference, the SEC. It just means more. It, it always it always means more. I appreciate an Oregon fan doing that too. Yeah. yeah what, the, what the hell am I going to talk about? I'm a, I'm a Pac-12 fan. We got like Solomon Thomas, and that's what we like hang our hat. Yeah. On. Well, you know, I always thought here's your Pac-12 recruiting pitch. You say, listen, we don't take this too seriously. We're not going to put too much stress on your body. And then when you look at the NFL and the number of people on rosters from the Pac-12, it's absurd. So in other words, like it means less. I think that's your recruiting pitch to the Pac-12. You go, you know what? The Pac-12 it means less because we're about that life. I think, whatever, I think you just like go. You just go point at Dayton Jones and you're like, he didn't do anything for four years, and people still believe he, he has potential. He just got six million dollar contract for one season. Yeah, no, that's the, what Aaron, Aaron Rodgers. He didn't like. He didn't even go to Cal for four years, right? And right, look, right. he's like the like single greatest quarterback in the NFL. Screw Tom Brady. No one cares. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers. You'd so much rather watch Aaron Rodgers than Tom Brady. Now we, we kind of have to take pull it back a little bit because we can't say that we'll take it easy in your body, especially after what Oregon just had, that little scandal they had with uh, Willie Taggart and the strength coach, right? Right, Justice? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I actually uh, I actually coached one of the kids who, who got to the one of the who got like sent to the hospital and stuff like that. So that's kind of a little that's that's definitely an odd situation. Oregon just can't say it like but they had like a DUI issue. They had that. Like they just can't stay out of trouble under the staff already. But I mean, they're they're pounding Florida hard. So I, I don't like. Is this an SEC SEC thing where you're like, you know, we we might have we might have to break some of these rules every once in a while. But damn it, we're gonna get these kids out of Florida. Yeah, yeah no, that's what Willie's gonna recruit, man. Like that's like bottom line. He recruited to WKU. What do you, what do you think? Do you think he's here to lose? Do you think he's here to not do what you need to do to recruit? No, no, he he got WKU over the hump. Not that they didn't have some baseline potential there, but he got that to happen. He rec- he pulled USF out of uh, a trash bin, a trash bin named the the Skip Holtz era. And I thought you were going to say Tampa. <laughs> um, <laughs> I did I did live in the Tampa Bay area for two years, and I'm not going to object to that. it's a dump man it's bad but yeah willie's good well yeah you're not you're not there to lose like that's (laughs) there's i bet willie even turned that to a recruiting thing now somebody asked yeah what'd you what'd you do to those two players he goes i don't know we're not here to lose (laughs) they they got they got they got rabdo but you know what i mean hey sometimes you get a little rabdo and you know what you're 18 17 somebody comes back yeah somebody comes in like that you know what you got two kidneys Come on, a football player's gonna be like, man, that's that's committed. They're like <laughs> coach, coach T's hard. I got this. Now we need a, we need a new renegade program since Urban Meyer left Florida. Is Oregon even cool enough to to be the renegade team that we all need? Well, I mean, you know, there was a time when Oregon kind of had a little bit of that, you know, edge or at least you know quirk to it, right? You had, uh, well, I believe it's Cliff Harris. Cliff Harris was pulled over. Oh, yes, yeah. sir. 
when Cliff, when Cliff Harris was pulled over. All Cliff Harris. Dude, Cliff Harris is great. Cliff Harris gave exactly the answer I would give, or probably would have given in college, if I'd been caught doing what he had been doing, which I totally did. When he was driving high with a bunch of his friends, and the, the patrolman said, do you guys have any weed? They said, no, we smoked it all. Shouts <laughs> to Darren Thomas, who was in that car and then also declared for the draft, went undrafted, and never even ended up in a camp. Like, I don't I don't know what – like, that dude won a Rose Bowl and then was just like, I'm, I'm done with football. I'm going to go be a backup in Arena League. Yeah, no, that's it. He was he was completely done. I mean, I think Oregon had some of that. Oregon also has this, which is they may lack one crucial element for an outlaw program, which is that they're on the West Coast. You know, like when you think of your great sort of outlaw programs, they generally had some kind of proximity to like a major media market. And it's just hard to get people sort of that enthused about your bandito ways out on, you know, the Pacific Rim. It's just difficult, right? Yeah. Like you can kind of get that. But I want you to think about this. Like the most outrageous NBA team of their era, the Jailblazers, right? Like the Portland Trailblazers, which had uh God, you, uh, you had Rashid Wallace, everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Stoudemire, Zach Randolph was on that team. Like Zach, yeah. of yeah. all the places for Zach Randolph to go. <laughs> he was drafted at a place where he would be mentored by Rashid Wallace who at the time was threatening to beat up reporters and really meant it. Like they had to tell a reporter, you got to go because she's going to beat your ass. Um, that's, you know, like that team, you have to tell people about that team. Now, if they had been like the Knicks, you know, we, we would have already had that 30 for 30, right? Like we would have had multiple documentaries about that team, right? If it had right. been the 86 Mets, like the 86 Mets, you know, Jeff Perlman wrote a whole book about that. You know, there's a there's a no moss cartoon about them, you know, demolishing a plane when their wives got drunk and they were all high on cocaine and they ended up smearing like cake and destroying seats like that's, <laughs> you know, that that happens. If you get someplace on the West Coast, it's just going to be hard because people are like, oh, man, I don't know. Let them cook. <laughs> it's just football. <laughs> it's fine. You're yeah. good. All right. So so speaking speaking of 30 for 30. So if like if ESPN shows up at your doorstep right now and they're like. We, we only have time to record, like, two of these stories. Like, we're doing one on the Urban Meyer Florida Gators. Like, you got to tell two stories. Which two are you telling? There's a Percy Harvin story I won't tell on the air. Um, no, you know, no one listens to this. It's, a, it's fine. No, no. no it's, like, there's, a couple, there's a couple of Percy Harvin stories that are, are unreal. Because Percy Harvin... Percy Harvin, I'll put it this way. He might have been the hardest dude to ever play at Florida. And Aaron Hernandez played at Florida. Wow. All right. Just in terms of how he lived, right? Aaron Hernandez would not, you know, Aaron Hernandez was not literally Mr. Steal Your Girl. Percy Harvin was. All right. Percy Harvin, if he said he was going to punch you, Aaron Hernandez might wait until after dark because, you know, he didn't want witnesses. Because <laughs> <laughs> I guess he was like, mm, I, I will take care of those. I'm the kind of guy who does that. Uh, Percy Harvin would just, you know, like, if he said he was going to punch you, it didn't matter. Broad daylight, he was going to do it, right? Uh, so those stories, uh, Brendan Spikes, there's a couple of good ones. Um, there's one, I, I, I will put it this way. There's one involving a gun and a party and somebody actually staring down a gun. That's, that's a really, like, that happened at a party then. And the gun was not held by a Florida football player. It was pointed at a football player. I bet and, wow. yeah. That's that that's that's the one that goes around. That I mean people assume like, you know, that team was um that team was completely wild. And um they were. They were guys on that team <laughs> were, like I don't want to sort of deflate that, you know. And the things you do know about are already like the O six team had guys like that, you know. Had a starting defensive lineman found like asleep at the wheel, drunk. <laughs> like it, it, the night. Yeah. Yeah, like that, you know, like during the season, before the Ohio State game, right? That happened. So it's all true. Like if you if you hear a lot of it, it's all true. ESPN would ESPN needs to make that documentary. I don't know if they will uh, for a while, but they really need to make they need to make that one and they need to make the jailblazers. If they do one on the jailblazers, it's great because they didn't actually end up winning anything, right? It's not like, oh man, the like all that chemistry was, you know, it was tempestuous and explosive and it really it did good things and it did bad things. You're like the jailblazers are like, no nah, man, everybody should have left. <laughs> like, <they> all, <laughs> 
like you, everyone should have just gone. You know what's so funny about like those Florida teams is you, you had the like the Pouncy Twins, Percy Harvin, Aaron Hernandez, and then Tim Tebow, like the Golden Boy, just uh, like on top of all of that. I feel like if he wasn't there, so much more stuff would have become public from that team because he he, I mean, he was like God right there. He, you know, that whole thing, like before he before he became what he is now, which is like, you know, kind of this like kind of this mascot for like really, really super excitable evangelical. I don't even want to see evangelical, like just just people who are like, yeah, man, I'm high on optimism all the time. Right. Like, yeah. even if it's foolish, like people are just like, man, Tim Tebow, he's got a great message and I support it. Like nobody ever has actually asked what Tim Tebow's message is. Right. They're just like, he's positive. That's great. Which it's kind of half right. <laughs> it's <fine>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really. If you if you just want to be happy, you know, you you go ahead and be happy. For those of us who like to be sort of you know a little skeptical at times, there's just a couple questions you might want to ask about that. But um, the the Florida roster, if it had not been people like oh man, if it hadn't been for Team Tebow, more stuff would have gotten out. I don't know. I, I really don't know about that because. That roster had, if you look at all of the people who were on that team and you look at the people who you go, oh man, you know, more stories would have gotten out. I don't know how many more stories about Chris Rainey you, you really could have gotten out, right? <laughs> like Chris Rainey, Chris Rainey decided to lay low by doing an interview before he ever got to Florida where he said, yeah, like my high school coaches basically gave me illegal benefits. And two, I'm going to Florida because I'm a white girl man. That was like, he said that before he ever got to Florida, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, and, you know, we're, we're like looking at the people that are coming to the program. We're like, oh, this is going to be fun. It's going to be a complete mess. Cam Newton's on that team. You forget that Cam Newton is on the 08 team, right? Yeah. Riley Cooper. Think about that. <laughs> Riley Cooper is in. Yeah, Riley Cooper, right, is on that team as well. Cornelius Ingram is on that team. Oh, wow. Major Wright, right? Major Wright, like a, a banger of a safety, right? NFL quality safety is on that team. I, you know, all you need to do is just start asking. Give someone six months and, you know, a lot of burner cell phones and you're going to get every story <laughs> you want to get off that team. It's not hard. Yeah, it, it, I, my one of my favorite pieces that's up on your website still the, the Will Hill one, uh, like like just oh a, yeah, the, the screen caps of all his tweets and him just you know openly tweeting about like getting high and doing all this other <laughs> crazy shit. <laughs> oh yeah, no no no. There's like there's like at least like there's at least like three or four shots of like Will Hill dancing shirtless with ladies. Evidently, just Will Hill would be walking across campus and like a party would break out. He's like, okay, shirts off. We're gonna dance. That's it. Like that would happen like on like a Wednesday. It was good being him. But there's also guys like on that roster. There's guys like Joe Hayden. You know, Joe Hayden was as like professional and composed and like you know, everything else is happening, right? Yeah. But like Joe Hayden, Joe Hayden showing up like, yeah, man, I'm a 185 pound dude who can deadlift 600 pounds, and uh, I'm watching tape. That's what I'm doing, man. Just sitting here watching tape. Right. There were a lot of guys who were like super professional and together about what they did on that team. It just should be noted, too. There was also like a vegan lineman, Matt Patchett, defensive lineman, a vegan lineman who uh, the only way he could gain weight was by eating pancakes. Like they were trying to figure out how to put weight on him. And finally, they figured out they're like, oh, man, he can eat pancakes. So they were just like absolutely cram this dude full of pancakes. And they sent him home like, OK, you need to go bulk up. And he got shot. In Tampa, like he lived, it was fine. And it wasn't, he wasn't even like at a party or he wasn't at a place where it was like, you know, like, oh, conceivably someone might get shot. No, he's just hanging out in Tampa and a random bullet just like hit him in the leg. That's like hanging out like Ebor. That sounds very on yeah. brand for Tampa. It was very on brand for that Florida team at the time because you're like, you're like, even this random dude like took a bullet, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> the definition of excellence is that even the people who are like, oh, that's just sort of some weird hippie dude, like, no, he got shot too. Uh, all right. Well, one last question before we uh, before we head out of here from uh, at fifty four enthusiast: How do bartenders slide drinks down the bar without them crashing all the time, or is that just Hollywood propaganda? I think that. 
that's just a matter of like numbers and practice, right? Because I worked in a couple of bars slash restaurants and they would do that. And I swept up the glassware sometimes when it didn't work. So, <laughs> you know, have either of you ever worked as a bartender? No, no. Yeah, I think everyone should at least work in a bar like once in their life because um, you won't be a drunk. If you work in a bar, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, this is not anything I want to do with my life. Um, but I, I got to get home. I got to get home. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it's mostly Hollywood propaganda because there are very few people who just have that kind of, I mean, it's like, I think the number of people who are just generally good at like parlor games, right? Like, or bar games, like, uh, you know, if you're a really good uh, washers player, right? If you're a really good horseshoes player, if you're a really good, like, um, you know, shuffleboard player, like bar shuffleboard, you know what I'm talking about? Um, I think that's pretty much on the bell curve. So I think if given infinite number of drinks to slide down the bar, you could get pretty good at it. But I don't think most bartenders want to take that chance because they don't want to clean that up. They, they don't want to like, you know, get bitched at for having all this broken glassware just because they want it to look cool. For literally half a second. Oh yeah. For like half a second that somebody will forget about. Also, you'll just look like an ass if you miss it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You'll be like, okay, look, cool. All right. Wait a good job. Cocktail. Go get the broom. Do you have anything that you want to plug? Anything uh, you're working on that's coming? Hold up, up? hold up, hold up, hold up. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask something really important for Spencer. Uh, Spencer, can you do me a huge favor and talk to these people about the glory that is Hood River, Oregon? A Hood River, Oregon. Oh my God, have you been? Have you been to Hood River? I live there, born and raised. <laughs> really? Okay. All right. So listen, Hood River. If you don't know it, I'm gonna give you the entire tourist spiel in one single incident. I went. It's. At this point, the Columbia River, right up on the Washington state line, uh, you can see Mount Hood from there. You can see, like, uh, is that what, Mount Vernon? Is that Adams. also? Adams. Adams, yeah, sorry. Um, you can see Mount Adams. You can see Mount Hood. Um, it's unreal looking. It looks like one of those towns where, like, it's the preset and all of the, like, second reel, be real kind of stuff they shoot for some sort of movie that you watch about adolescents who are way smarter than they should be solving a dark crime, right? Like, it's it's one of those places where you go, I've made a mistake by not being born here. This was dumb, right? I should have been born here. The only people who are there are, like, hippies and, I believe, people who make drones for the government, right? Yeah, and, it's, it's that and, like, people who work in orchards. It's very, very odd. Right, right, right. So, and it's a town of about, I believe, like, 8,000, maybe, right? Uh, and I think, despite being a town of 8,000, it has um, 400 breweries, at least, like within the city limits, at least that's what it felt like, right? Probably yeah. th the number is probably three. You should know this about Hood River, Oregon. It's perfect. It's at a bend in the Columbia River where um, you can go kite surfing pretty much every day if that's your thing. Uh, did you ever do that, Justice? Yeah, I mean we have we have like classes like in the high school, like you have windsurfing classes and stuff like that. <laughs> really? God, yeah, it's, Christ, it's pretty man. ridiculous, man. Yeah, because and people don't know this. That will kick your ass. Like you do not mess it's around so with hard. that at all. Like it takes it takes like a week to like actually learn how to like if you're going like kiteboarding like it takes like a legitimate week before you don't look like a dumbass your first five seconds. Oh yeah, because it begins dragging you through the water. You have to understand, Charles, that when it pulls the wind, I mean it'll pull a boat. You don't think of it that way, right? You're like, oh yeah, whatever. This is just a kite. Yeah, it's a sail, and <laughs> you're and you're the boat, right? And it will pull you twenty miles an hour, thirty miles an hour if you let it, and um, you have to get it up in the air all the while maintaining body position in the water while sort of jigging it back and like forth with your hands. Like it's, it's very difficult. And I was supposed to learn it in three days and we lost one of those days. So I had two days and almost got up once and then almost killed myself, right? Doing this. Um, that said, you should try it. It's absolutely awesome. And you should only try it in Hood River, Oregon, because when you pull up in Hood River, this happened to me. We were on the side of the river, and it was me and my instructor. My instructor, who, by the way, rolled up cleanly and legally in a Subaru Outback, just flooded flooded with weed smoke and with like uh, widespread panic blazing out of the windows, right? And at like 9 a.m., right? Like, all right, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, oh, it's legal. All right, that's cool. Anyway, we roll up. He rolls up like that. We go down the river. We pull up on a bank, and it's just me, him. And his lady, and suddenly dudes just start showing up out of nowhere, all on kiteboards. And in addition to that, 
These guys have backpacks on the kiteboards where someone produced a grill out of nowhere. Don't know where that came from. Somebody brought more weed. Okay, fine. Um, somebody produced like a 24-pack of really nice beer. And then somebody goes, yeah, man, hold on. Uh, I'll call my friend. And he pulls up on a kiteboard as well. This is like the ninth kiteboarder to pull up with something. Uh, and he's got like elk meat that his daughter like brought down with a bow that week. And at like 1130, all of these people on a weekday, mind you, this isn't like a Saturday on a weekday. All of these people are just like, I'm eating elk meat and it smells like a widespread panic concert. And I'm drinking a really nice beer. And yeah, it's 1130 in hood river. And it was absolutely perfect there. That's your tourist advertisement for this place. <laughs> Don't go there. It's awful. Cause I'm probably going to go back. Wow. I mean, justice talks about Oregon being a Ford country and that, that doesn't sound anything like Baltimore. <laughs> no, no, you, no, no, listen, just go with him to go with him to Hood River for like three or four days. And just my favorite was a guy who said, yeah, man, kiteboarding, you know, what really helped me with kiteboarding or kite surfing. I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, I, I, I did it on a skateboard first. And I was like, this does not sound like it's going to help me at all. Like, take this dangerous thing that where you can just <laughs> let go and like swim and combine it with the real possibility of like head trauma at 20 miles an hour on a skateboard. It's like, no, 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 it's not like that. I'm like, no, it wouldn't be like that, dude. You know I mean? <laughs> it's exactly like that. <laughs> you're just too high. You're just, you're just so high. This actually makes sense to you, but I'm with it. It's cool. It's fine. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you have anything that you want to plug anything you're working on, uh, that's coming up, uh, that you want to talk about before we let yeah, you go? Sure. We can. Yeah, I'm writing a piece on the I'm writing a piece on the future of football, which is um, very fun and interesting. That's going to be a big part of our SB Nation rebrand relaunch. We got like a nice little sort of redo. Site got a facelift, so that'll be coming up uh, soon ish. Full, full cast is every week. We do that as well. So that's uh, the basics that you can go ahead and plug. All right. Uh, so that's going to conclude episode 19 of Setting the Edge. Uh, Thank you, Spencer, for joining us, and we'll be back next week with a guest who has yet to be determined yet. See you guys then.